Hi, this is Damon Pistolka, host of the Faces of Business, where I talk with interesting people sharing life and business experiences to entertain, engage, build community, and provide information to help others succeed. If you're interested in learning more about one of our guests or how we are helping business owners generate wealth and build businesses they can sell or succeed at Exit Your Way, you can find more information on our website, ExitYourWay.com, or by contacting me directly, Damon at ExitYourWay.com. I hope you enjoy the show. All right, everyone. Welcome once again to the Faces of Business. I am your host, Damon Pistolka, and I am excited for our guest today because I've got Michelle Page here from Sales Chasers, and we're going to be talking about building an effective sales machine. Welcome, Michelle. Thank you, Damon. Thank you. I'm well, happy to be awesome here. To oh, I'm I'm just I'm excited to have you here uh, because you know. If there's anything that is critical to the business behind having something to sell, it's the selling of that. So I'm excited to go through some of the things and, you know, looking through your background, you've been helping people um, develop sales teams, develop sales systems, being both an inside, outside, and just, just around the, the, the topic from all angles in some interesting real world setting. So as we always like to start this off, Michelle, why don't you tell us a bit about your background and how you got into helping people today with your fractional sales efforts? Absolutely. Um, well, I actually started selling by phone um, back when that, that awful word telemarketing was the term for it. <laughs> Yeah. And um, yes, I was that person that called you at the dinner hour. Um, and uh, after a few hours in, of that, I said, okay, business to business is where I want to be. Um, so I, I, I've been in the selling by phone industry for about three decades. Um, so I've seen just about uh, every type of product, every type of methodology, uh, good, bad, and ugly. And uh -huh. I've learned, um, I've I've learned what works, what doesn't, and if if you run into this challenge, uh, there's a there's a lot of ways to overcome it. Um, so when I got into it, it was it was because you know I've, I've been selling since I was a kid, and I found that it's it's something I enjoy. Um, when you're selling something, it's because somebody can benefit from it. Mm -hmm. And I, I enjoy that. Very cool. So what's the most interesting thing you ever sold? Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> or you enjoyed selling the most? Um, enjoyed selling. You know, I've, I've enjoyed almost all of them. I would say... The the one that I probably enjoyed the most was um, one of my longest customers, uh, which was court furniture rental, mm -hmm. and it was it was fun because um, there were we we spread out that engagement. It was probably six years, and we started with one office here in Atlanta. 
And you think, okay, it's furniture rental. How exciting can that be? Well, every time you hear why companies use it, and then we started bringing in um, higher education and military and government and all these different applications about how it is so useful, you learn and then you spread over to a bunch of different geographic markets and, and what's per pertinent to that market. Um, it was fun. And, and the teams that I worked with was fun. And I just really enjoyed that experience. Very cool. Very cool. Uh, and, and then what do you think was the hardest thing you ever had to try to sell? Um, I'm going to give you two examples and they were both technology. Okay. <laughs> the first one, um, I started that job in 1991, 92. Um, email was new at that point. Yeah. <laughs> Just to kind of position it. Um, and we were selling um, software systems on premise for manufacturing companies. Wow. They were, um, they started out at like quarter of a million dollars um, yeah. and we were doing lead generation. So I was completely out of my element on the industry, on software, and it taught me how to learn an industry and how to learn how to prospect. And that was the first situation where uh, we were teamed as business development with an AE, territory to territory. Um, so it was a great learning experience and I learned how to learn fast. <laughs> yes. Um, the other frustrating one was um, also technology. And this was uh, a founder who knew his product. Um, it, was, it was a software um, company. He knew his product, but he didn't know who his ideal client was. Mm -hmm. He knew who the person was as far as the psychography. Um, but uh, he didn't know what type of industry or how they were going to use it. He didn't have it narrowed down into use cases. So me building out a sales strategy and messaging was just yeah. com completely challenging. Yeah. Yeah, that's. Oh, wow. I asked those two questions and we have tons to talk about just in those two or three questions there. So. Let's let's back up. Let's back up a little bit because I, I there's a wealth of wealth of conversation points there. Mm -hmm. So when when we're talking about building an effective sales machine, something that's mm -hmm. gonna be able to, you know, expand your customer base and continue to build your your sales over time, what are your key I guess, people pieces in that, you know, we've got sales and business development, marketing, we've got uh, inside account or customer service people. What, what are the, you know, if you just said, we really see in most of the kind of business I work with, we have to have bump, 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 bump to really keep the things rolling like we want. Well, that is going to vary widely depending on a lot of things. Um, the life cycle of the company, Mm -hmm. um, the type of product or service, who you're selling to. Um, if there's a, a big customer service element, um, if you're um, doing a lot of repeat business, a lot of repeat orders, um, if it's more transaction or con transactional consulting selling, if it's an ARR model. Um, and of course, with, with Lifecycle, if you've got one or two SDRs, 
or if you if you've got 25. Yeah. Uh, so so the first thing you need to look at is where are you? So current state. What is your desired state? And I'm not talking about uh, 25 years from now. Yeah. If, if you if you've got um, an aggressive revenue goal for the next 12 months or next 24 months, okay, that's your desired state. Let's quantify that. Okay, what's the gap and what's the bridge to get there? So we need to build that roadmap. Then we can identify what our sales strategy is. Then we've got to look at what do you have in place? If you have two AEs, two closers, they're probably not prospecting as much as they could because if you hired a, a good closer, they don't like to prospect. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's um, that's kind of a, a known fact for the majority. Um, you, you either have the, um, the, the drive and the personality to hunt or the drive and the personality to close. Um, full cycle sales does work in some situations. Um, what I have seen perform best has been um, defined roles and responsibilities. Um, you can build better metrics, you can manage better, you can coach better, and you can get better performance. So, you know, what, what does your makeup look like? So what is, what is the best fit yeah. to get the best results? So you, you said a couple of things in here, and I, I'd like to expand on this a little bit yeah. because some people look at, they think they hired a salesperson and all their problems are going to go away. But you, you brought up, I think, a very um, important point about hunters and closers. Mm -hmm. And when I'm sitting here with a business and I've got a plethora of people I know who I have to contact, is that really a time to go, okay, I can just hire a closer and I can close these? Or do we still need a hunter at the beginning of the process? It's going to talk to, you know, a hundred of these clients a day or however many a week or whatever the right number is. And then if they're interested, we, we pass them on to the closer to, to talk about, you know, how they would talk about to actually get to a sale. Because full cycle sales, I, I think is tough in a lot of situations, yeah. like I said. Well, you know, Damon, I'm, I'm, I'm going to make a lot of responses as, well, it depends. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you've got this list. Um, are they network connections, past customers, um, past prospects that you talked to three years ago and maybe mm. they've forgotten who you are? Did they sign up on your website and maybe they forgot they signed up? Um, they signed up for a webinar and never attended. So you've got to figure out, okay, what grade would you give this list? Yeah. If, if it is a warm list of people that at one time were qualified MQLs or SQLs, so marketing qualified or sales qualified, you could give that to an AE, a closer. If you don't know the status of that list, you know, there could be people on there that have left the company. Yeah. Maybe they've gone to a new company and you want to research where they went. Or maybe you're talking to um, a, a lower level employee that's on your list that maybe they are an influencer maybe they're just kind of ancillary to a decision making team and you really want to go a level up uh, don't have your ae do that have either your bdr or perhaps a data person do that 
Okay. So you want to get the biggest bang for your buck for whatever role is doing a job. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Do you see in, cause I know in some of the, the smaller companies that we work with, I see where they might have someone that's more like a business development person and they're actually using some of their sales slash operational people to close. I see this in oil and gas. How, how do you think, is, is that effect? Have you seen that done effectively or is it really, you should separate that sales from the operational aspect? The operational or technical side can add a lot of value when they accompany the sales process. So think about a sales engineer. A lot of salespeople, they're salespeople because they know sales. Mm -hmm. Those sales skills are transferable to a lot of different industries. They may not be intimately familiar with your industry, but they know sales. They can learn an industry. Now, if you have someone that is a, um, a software engineer, they know software. They may not know sales. Yeah. So you can learn an industry much easier than you can learn sales. There we so go. Stay in your lane. Call in the resources that you need, but stay in your lane. That's why a lot of founder-led sales organizations um, struggle. Mm -hmm. The founder knows their product or service. They can sell it to somebody who wants or needs it. But finding those opportunities... It's not their core competency. Yeah. Yeah. So when you're coming into companies and they're saying, hey, our sales just aren't doing what we normally need. And I know it depends. <laughs> but when we when we look at it, is it usually when you go when we're talking about common problems, is it because they don't have a good business development aspect and they're not really refreshing and 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 understanding and collecting and I should, not collecting is not a good word, but really getting introduced to more potential customers or is it, uh, or is it typically that they can't, you know, explain the product or service, right. And, and get through the, the sales process. That is something that you would need to do an assessment first. So yeah. when, when I start working with a company, um, a lot of times I'll, I'll be asked to come in and, and coach or train. Mm -hmm. um, I can absolutely do that. I enjoy it. I, um, I actually get a lot of personal satisfaction out of that part of what I do. But if you're coaching or training someone who doesn't know what job they're supposed to do or don't know how to do their job, um, you're a little bit ahead of yourself. Yeah. So does, does that person have the right resources available to them? Do they have the right knowledge available to them? So peel it back a little bit. So I always look at the foundation. Yeah. Are they calling the right people? Are they saying the right messaging? If, in my view, there are three M's to successful sales communications. There is, first of all, the market. Are you talking to the right people? That goes to your ICP and the personas within that ICP. The second one is the messaging. Uh, 2023 is all about uh, personalization. If your message is not relevant to the company and the person 
that you're communicating with is going to fall short. You need to personalize. You need to be relevant. The third is the medium. You're not going to communicate the same way over the phone as you would by email or even a voicemail. So all of that has to be right. So when you're coaching someone, if you don't, if they don't have a good understanding of all that, um, coaching them on their delivery on the phone, if they're saying the wrong message to the wrong person is not going to be helpful. Yeah. So I always uh, advise a client or a potential client, you know, go back to the basics. Um, you wouldn't build a house on, on quicksand. Look at your foundation. Mm -hmm. Who is your ICP? Now, if you're a car dealer, you may say, well, anyone that has a license and wants or needs a car. Okay, well, that's your addressable market. But what if you're a Lamborghini dealer? Is that your ideal client profile? No. So get specific. So do you see, let's talk about the ideal customer profile or, or persona. Um, do you see companies spending enough time on that? Or is it typically they fall short? Typically they do fall short. They, they oftentimes they'll either look at their client base and say, this is a good client. We should get more like them. Or they'll look at their product or service uh, features or benefits and say, okay, this company could use that. So that might be a good client. It, it would be applicable to them, but it is, is it their ideal client? Mm. So Mich Michelle has her own definition. Of well, let's hear it. <laughs> so in Michelle's world, an ideal client profile would be a company that their need is so perfectly filled by the, the service or product that you provide as an organization that they are going to minimize your sales cycle. Wow. They, are going, they are going to reduce the expense it is for you to sell to them, service and support them, maintain uh, any part of that relationship. And uh, it's also going to have an opportunity for upsells, cross sells, um, ARR renewals, that sort of thing. That's all going to lead to a long-term relationship rather than traction, uh, transactional where they evaluate based on price every year. Mm -hmm. They're going to be so pleased they'll become a rating fan and lead to more referrals. So can they use your product or are they going to fit that description? Yeah, it's a lot of, there's a, there's a long, there's a big span between those two. Yeah. Now I'm not saying that's the only ones you want to market to, but you want to make sure that that is a big chunk of mm -hmm. who is in your prospecting list. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, in, in some of these, I mean, some companies, I mean, especially if you get into manufacturing or other B2B kind of companies, I mean, they don't, they're not trying to find 10,000 customers. They're, some are trying to find 10 or a mm hundred. -hmm. And when you look at that and, and obviously it's much different than if I'm trying to find a thousand, but right. um, 
this becomes more and more important, I think. Absolutely. Yeah, especially the smaller your sales team. You, you want to um, be very pinpointed in, in where you spend your time because, you know, you know the saying, time is money. Mm -hmm. um, so if, if you have limited resources to invest in your success, make it a wise investment. Yeah, good point. Yeah. So we've had lots of things changing in sales since sales in the past few years. What are some of the things that you see that people either the leaders are getting on board with or or people that aren't need to get on board with? Um, that's a great question. Uh, you know, I'm I'm a uh, I'm a specialist in the the building in order to scale. So in order to have a repeatable process for future success and to be able to kind of predict that success, you need to know that you're building a strong foundation. So I always go back to, okay, let's not go get 15 sales enablement platforms when you have bad data. So I always go back to there, there's really two tools that you need and they're so often overlooked. So there, the data sources that are available today um, a lot of companies will go out and get two or three data sources and say, okay, SDRs, BDRs, go out and prospect. These are all the resources you have available. So a lot of SDRs or BDRs will go out there and kind of hunt and peck and, you know, it's been 15, 20 minutes researching. Okay, I'm going to call this one. So the first thing I think an organization needs to do is they need to identify the best fit dynamic data source that works for their company. So best fit means that it has number one, plenty of um, appropriate contacts for what they're looking for. Number two is accuracy of data. If they only have 70% accuracy, you're, you're still wasting your money. And don't let them tell you what their accuracy is. Talk to other users. There you go. <laughs> um, and then best fit is also uh, make, an, make an appropriate investment. Um, you know, going back to the, uh, the the car analogy, if you just got your driver's license, don't buy a Rolls, Rolls Royce. You know, get something that's going to get you through the next year. And then you can upgrade that plan or you can go to, you know, a bigger, better plan. Um, so that data source is so important. The second one is a CRM. You've got to be able to track everything. And again, don't go get the biggest because if it's not customized to your needs, if it's not easy for your team to use to record all the pertinent data, not just that you need to sell to each customer, but also to capture for um, future marketing campaigns to analyze prospect and soon to be client characteristics and performance demographics, you, you need to plan that CRM, you need to customize it. If you have those two items in place, there's no need to go put a bunch of tools out there that your team may not need and may not use. So those are the two things that I think are often overlooked. They go back to the beginning of 
selling by phone. Mm -hmm. um, but they need to be done well. They really do. Yeah. So a, a good dynamic data source that's right for you and then a CRM that's right for you. Mm -hmm. But customized, it, it's got to have the fields that you need. It's got to. Mm -hmm. And you, you've got to make sure your team is using it. Garbage in, garbage out. Yeah. that's I've seen a lot of that in CRMs is you'll go into a company and you go, okay, because we're helping them evaluate growth and what, they're, what they really need to be um, – doing to get to their value goals and and you look at it and you go okay show us your crm and see how you guys you're using it and it's like there's really nothing in there mm -hmm. or there's stuff in there but they're that you go okay this is this is a potential customer is this a customer show me all the interactions you had for them and there no interactions or if they're it's, limited if, if, if it's not in the crm it didn't happen yeah that that's that's my mantra. There you uh, go. I read a um, report. Oh gosh, it's it's been several months, and and I can't recall the source. Uh, but business leaders that were polled, um, something like seventy five or eighty percent said that they rely on the data in their CRM to make strategy decisions. And then they were asked, "What percentage of you have confidence?" in the data in your CRM. And it was something like 30%. Yeah. Well, I, you look at your CRM and it should be telling you what your your pipeline looks like. You sh you, there's a lot of things. I mean, and when you see it done right, especially if you've got something where I've seen, in my experience with the longer lead time kind of things where you're going, okay, or a longer sales process, not a longer lead time, but a longer sales mm -hmm. process where we've got, a lot of things we're, we're talking about a project that might happen a year from now and how does it progress up to it? And then I'd have, you know, how does the quote process working? Do we get the quote to the customer and decision process? You know, there's all these steps in there. And if you're measuring what you have at each step and it's not accurate, you got no idea what's in your pipeline. Right. And well, there's in the ideal situation, because of course we do live in an ideal world. <laughs> The uh, the data in the CRM should be substantial enough and accurate enough. So when that sales leader has their one on one with that individual contributor, whether it's a, a, a BDR to a, a senior AE, they should be able the, the leader should be able to look at that report and have enough information for activity results and forecast. But that one-on-one -on -one is not about what are you doing and what does the future look like. It should be about coaching, training, uh, giving support. That's what a sales leader should be doing in those one-on-ones. That's a great point. You really think about that. And if the data is already there, everything's working, we're entering it or it's automatically however the, the data has to get in there. That sales manager, that sales leader can sit down with that person and go, okay, Damon, you looks like you made a hundred calls and we got X amount of them turned into what we wanted. And that's great. Or how can we help to do this? What are you seeing? Yes. And you, you get right past how many did you make? What were the results? And you're right into how are we going to improve the results? Exactly. Yeah. Oh, you just made me smile. <laughs> there we go. There we go. Well, the, I mean, it's, it's, so incredibly interesting for me. I mean, I started at, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not a salesperson 
but I started doing corporate sales as part of my job years and years and years and years ago. And the, the changes in the process, I mean, cause you, we weren't talking about CRMs 25 years ago. We, we, right. You may have had, you may have had a, 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 you may have had a spreadsheet with that. You, you may have been and and most of it, when you look at, you're talking about data, dynamic data sources. I mean, sometimes we were looking, I forget what they were called, you know, some big books to try to find different companies and, and that kind of thing. But, but it's, it's incredible now when you see these people that really, and it's people, cause I, companies are just people. Uh, but these these where they've really put the right things together. So they're they're harnessing a data source, like you said, that that gives them plenty of fresh people or the right people to be able to be reaching out to. They know who they should target. First of all, I, I come right. back to your your definition of ICP is really cool, especially when you're when you're looking for multimillion dollar customers. It's that's a good way to do it. And. And, and then you see how this works, right? Okay, we, if we look across the U.S. or wherever we're selling, the global when we're selling, and then, and then track that through the CRM and see how that comes from identification of someone to initial outreach to, yes, they, you know, whatever the process is to get them to the point of, yes, we, we're, we're talking to them about something, and then they, they turn into a customer. That's really cool. It's really cool how it works now. Yeah, you, you can... Uh pivot your strategy based on that information. Um, you can go deeper in a su successful um, path. Mm -hmm. You can use that as training materials for up and coming uh, sales reps in whatever role they may be. Um, you may find that you need to change your infrastructure based on that data, add roles, um, combine roles, uh, there, there's so much information you can get. And again, it's because you did two things well. You've got the right data. You tracked it, enhanced it with your the information you uncovered. You analyzed it and, and learned from it. And, and the, the big difference between a dynamic data source and purchasing a list, even if it's a, a targeted list of, uh, members of a specific organization. The moment you buy that list, it's out of date. Mm -hmm. It's out of date. If you get a dynamic list, they're refreshed regularly. New information is added. When people change organizations, change titles, uh, companies are acquired and they have a new email, that's updated. Mm-hmm. A, a purchased stagnant list is out of date as soon as you receive it. Yeah. Yep. And that's, that's a great point because there's so much more that's needed now than, than just simple contact information too. Right. Like you said, with the need for personalization, let, let's move into that a little bit because you talked about 2023 is a year of personalized, Outreach, or I believe I'm covering that right or recounting yes. that correctly. What does that mean for sales organizations, salespeople throughout the process? Um, I'll give you an example with a current client. Yeah. Uh, we are reaching out to uh, an industry where we're targeting 
strictly sea level. Mm-hmm. Um, so the the bucket of owners, founders, president, CEO, and then there's the operations bucket of um, COOs, VPs of ops, um, CFOs, and um, there there may be administ- a VP of administration, but that's kind of like lower level targets. So what is a COO concerned with? What are, what are his or her pains? What are the gains that he or she want to achieve? They may be similar to what the CFO wants to achieve, but they're not the same. They're not the same. Um, same with the, the COO, founder, owner, president. Um, they don't have specifically the same operational goals. They may be higher level. You need to speak to each persona with what he or she wants to or needs to hear. You need to speak about relevant, relevant things that are happening um, in the industry to their customers, to their suppliers, and perhaps to them. Yeah. That's a, that's a great point. It's a great example too, because you know, your CFO is going to have a, like you said, their, their concerns, their challenges around whatever you're trying to, to introduce them to sell them, uh, uh, is really has to come from their viewpoint. Absolutely. Why do they care? You know, as they say with them, what's in it for me? Yeah. Uh, so in building the, uh, the business development organization for this client, we started off with, okay, here's our ICP. Who are the key personas within that? What are their pains, their gains, uh, their key objectives? And within that, each of the personas, uh, they, they may have three different categories of pains or gains. Okay, so what specifically within the financial pain? You know, what three items? Okay, cost control. Um, uh, increasing profits, uh, uh, better data. Okay. What specifically is it about cost control? Okay. Well, today's environment, um, materials costs and, and, and freight costs are unpredictable. Okay. Why is that a pain? Well, we can't set pricing because if we set a pricing today for something we're going to produce in the future, we have no idea if we're going to be able to maintain profitability. Okay. There's your value proposition one. So your first cadence is going to speak to that value problem. They're going to hear what they want or need to hear multiple times, phone, email, voicemail. And then they're going to say, oh, yeah, this makes sense. They know what they're talking about. It's not going to be something, you know, uh, the, the spray and pray, they'll say, or smile mm-hmm. and thought. You know, you, you've got to have a targeted plan for your messaging. So we have a grid. It's a it's a, um, a messaging matrix of the cadence, the value props, uh, personas, all of that. Mm. Very, very cool. Very cool. It's good. It's, you need to find it well. Explain that Thank well. Thank you. Um, so lots of people talk about Email's dead, phone's dead, whatever. You know, you, you hear, you just, 
insert this for a way to introduce yourself or sell sell products what do you really see in the real world are are they all still effective it's just different for different industries and different kind of environments because of the personalization that we need to do or, or what's really what's really going on there it's not a matter of the method being dead it is poor execution okay let me give you an example <laughs> i just posted on linkedin about this today um, a new trend in emailing and i i just received a series of these um, you'll receive an email from a company they will have a call to action um, let's set up a demo the email signature only has their name and the company name. There's no phone number, there's no link, there's nothing. Um, the next email will come, it could be hours later from a second person at that company. Oh, I, I hear you're talking to Susie. Um, you know, she said that we should connect. So, you know, what's a good time to talk to you? No way of getting in touch with the second person. And then you get another email from the first person. If you hit reply, the email bounces. How do you get in touch with this person? Yeah. Why are you spending your marketing dollars? And by the way, they're offering a service to increase business development. Yeah. <laughs> do, do you know what yeah, my business yeah. does? <laughs> yeah. So yeah. it's poor execution. It is absolutely poor execution. Poor execution. Yeah. Well, and you, it makes a lot of sense of poor execution because I think there are, depending on your ICP, mm -hmm. you should know, are these phone people, are these email people, are these TikTok people? Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we got someone that came on and said, I had one of these last week. All right, Keenan, <laughs> I'm, I'm happy that you had one last week because like, I've had like 20. <laughs> yeah. I like Michelle. I have a whole junk folder that that fills up every day that I try to keep clean because I, I get good stuff in there once in a while yeah. too, and I feel bad looking at it. But they are literally, as you said, it's, you know, and, and the, the one that gets me in an email is the second, third, whatever it is, email that comes to you because I'm obviously not interested after the first or the second that comes to me that says something and it has no sub subject line the body of the email nothing tells you why they want to talk to you it's it's how do you really i was wondering if you if you uh, had any thoughts about the email i sent previously well i didn't read the first one so in order <laughs> for me to find that it, it all they would have had is a, a couple words in there about blah 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 you know rather than you know, just going like that because there's no chance. I mean, I, how can that be effective? I, I think to myself, I like to, I like to get these things, right. I like to get these things because you understand what's good and what's bad. Yeah. I mean, I see when you talk about email marketing, I think um, there's, there's some witty ones that you get that I think are worthwhile just to see how you can make these things fun. I mean, you can sell a lot of different things and if you're personable, if you understand who you're selling to, you can, you can do a good job with it. Mm -hmm. um, and I, and I think, and I'm asking you the question now, is that 
kind of personalization and really knowing your ICP well enough to go, hey, I'm selling to the um, girl that just went to the Barbie show with all of her friends. That's the 28 year old girl that just went to the bar. That's my daughter. Went to the Barbie <laughs> show with all her friends last weekend. And do I use those terms and things like that when I'm doing that? Is that really a good strategy when you see these kind of things is really understanding your client to that point yeah. to be able to integrate into your sales process? Yeah, the psychographics of a, of a prospect are important. Um, emails in particular have dramatically changed over the past even a few years. Um, the, the, the style right now is very short. Um, I don't want to use the word casual, but it's not that that uh, buttoned up, you know, spew of information about who we are, what we do. Um, it's it's usually asking questions. They're much shorter, and um, it's a little bit. Uh, some of them are, are kind of cheeky, so you're not going to send the same email style to the CEO of Hewlett Packard as you are to um, the CEO of Apple, mm -hmm. different culture. Um, and you're not going to send the, the, send the same email to the CEO of a um, $50 million company. Mm -hmm. it, 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 it's different. You know, you've, you've got to, a phrase that is very popular right now that is, uh, I think, overused. You've got to meet them where they are. Mm -hmm. So if, yeah. if you're not relatable to them, they're not going to want to interact with you. So in years gone by, these email automation things were used a lot. Mm -hmm. Do you see them being used effectively? now or is it that this personalization has gotten to a point that where you know you really if if you're selling an, an item that's got some some girth to it uh not a product sale it's going to be going do you do you think that the business development process really needs to be more individualized than an email automation can offer or is is there kind of a steps into it and then the the, the super personalized works or what do you see people effectively doing? The automation tool, if it's sophisticated enough, you can build in a number of sequences, a number of cadences, and they're all tied to a specific um, group in your CRM. So if you name a, a, a group um, SMB, tech uh, female led or something uh -huh. like that yeah yeah, yeah. Um, you can speak to them in this term if, okay. if you do uh, manufacturing firms um, under 10 million in rural America you can speak to them in that tone so if, if you can segment to the best of your knowledge how your message might be received um, but that, that's a lot of programming. That's a lot of creative. Um, it, you would need to have a, a strong, talented business development infrastructure to be able to do that. Yeah. Yeah. 
So in some cases, it might be you might still be able to use it, but it really does because you, you talk about personalization, mm-hmm. and I think about it, and 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 you know, and we're not talking about selling a twenty nine ninety nine, you know, product or something like that, right. but but you know, if I'm selling something that's tens of thousands of dollars or hundreds of thousands of dollars, I mean, it 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 almost seems to me like there needs to be a in this in the business development process there really need, needs to be a familiarization with who I'm talking to, to, to speak to them. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. And, and a lot of those dynamic online uh, data sources, there's a tremendous amount of information about the company mm-hmm. there. If, if you use LinkedIn uh, just to find out about the person you can be more personable, personable yeah. with them. Now, I wouldn't start an email saying, "Oh, I, I'm from Ohio State or from from Columbus, Ohio." Oh, I see you're a Buckeye too. Oh, how about those? How, yeah. You know, how about that game? You know, I don't be a stalker. Yeah. People don't like that. Uh, you know, but but you can you can understand kind of where. Okay, so this is a Midwesterner. Um, you know, they're. They're, they're probably not, um, you know, that that fast paced as if they were from the Northeast. Yeah. You, you can get a little bit of feel for them. The, the, the data sources I'm speaking of, there's a lot of information in there. There's there's, there's intent buying. There, there's uh, current tech stack information. So you could say, um, okay, this says you use QuickBooks. If you happen to be a QuickBooks user. Yeah. Yeah, because I know you are. <laughs> you know, many of our QuickBook yeah. users have said or have found. Um, so that's a good point. Yeah, that's a good point. It's just it just seems like it to me. Uh, the reason why I ask questions around this, and I know I'm kind of wandering around it, but it seems like the the being personal is hard in business development. It's hard. It's a it's 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 a lot of work to you know just say if if I wanted to prospect. 20 customers a day if I was a business development person and we're selling something of significance. Um, and I don't, I don't mean that. I mean, dollar wise, it's significant yes. dollars. Um, that that's a tall order for somebody to do. Well, it used to be the, um, the common number would be 80 to hundred dollars a day. Yeah. People would smile and dial. Give me a name, company, phone number. We're good. Today, that's not going to cut it. It's just not. So what I found to be much more cost effective is have someone spend some time on the data. So before you just load something into the CRM, pull the right list. Clean it. Take out anything that somehow got in that list that doesn't belong. So if mm-hmm. you pulled on the state of Texas because you're calling Texas and someone from Vermont snuck in there, take it out. Don't even let it get in your CRM. Yeah. If, you, if you're targeting finance people and uh, a plant manager got in there, take it out. Yeah, Why would you have that. your BDR call them or why would you put it upon your BDR to make that decision if you can clean it first? Yeah. If, if if somebody doesn't have a phone number, pull it out. 
If, if email is critical to your strategy, pull it out. You can research it later. You can enhance it later. Pull it out. When you load it into that CRM, your sales rep should have accurate, to the best of your ability, um, actionable accounts to call. And they should be able to average, depending on the CRM, anywhere between five and 15 calls an hour. And, and make, all the, make all the notes, um, you know, track it, update the lead status. Uh, five would be on the low end. Yeah. Um, it's probably going to be more like eight, eight to 12. So, but what you're saying, and this is, this is, this is relevant in some of, some of the people we work with is, is, is really take the time getting that data right. So your BDRs are not wasting their time hunting down emails. They're not wasting their time trying to find a phone number or fill in some information that they don't have. Just give them the, the leads or potential people that mm -hmm. they got all the data. They can do what they need to do. So they're going through their process rather than stopping and, oh, I need to find this. I don't have it now. And, and going yeah. through that way. Okay. Invest Good. in one person creating clean data for four Ooh. sellers rather Good than four people waste. And then oh. the, gar the garbage does not go into your CRM. For, so somebody a year from now finds and says, oh, this person hasn't been called. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Wow, Michelle, it's awesome talking to you about this. I mean, I could get into the details because you're so you're so good at this. I, um, if people want to talk, I'm, and because we're we're, run, we're over time, I just looked yes, up. I'm like, goodness, we're over time. Yes. No, no, it's me. It's me because I, I I think that there's it's so challenging right now. I think it's it's challenging for a lot of people because we don't want to be called by people that are give, calling us with irrelevant things that we really don't want to. And then on the other side of this, it's there are people that are trying to call us that we probably would want to talk to. And it's it's mm -hmm. it's interesting exploring it and really beginning to understand how can how can companies be more relevant? They don't want to waste their time calling calling me about something or emailing me about something that I don't want. They only want to if I'm a good uh, potential customer. So right. thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. So. Michelle Page from Sales Chasers, what is the best way to get a hold of you? Well, the simplest way to get my contact information, if you go to saleschasers.com, my yep. email and phone number are both on there. Awesome. Uh, you can also find me on LinkedIn. Um, my uh, profile is under Michelle L. Conkle Page because I uh, had a whole career before I got married there <laughs> and you go. a lot of people know me by my maiden name c-o-n-k-l-e all right all right well michelle thanks so much for being here i want to thank the people that were, were listening thank the people that commented today keenan and mia thanks so much for being here today and we will be back again with another awesome person talking about things on the faces of business hang out for a moment michelle and we'll wrap up after we get off this thank you so